This may sound strange, but to crime scene investigators, there's something peaceful about working with the dead. No matter how a victim's life ended, they all have a story to tell. That is, if somebody is willing to listen. For more than 30 years, Howie Ryan has been that guy. Most of that time as a state police crime scene investigator. Today, he is a crime scene reconstruction consultant and expert witness and teacher of state-of-the-art forensic techniques to law enforcement agencies worldwide. He has worked scenes you wouldn't want to experience in your worst nightmare. This podcast series will pull back the sheet on what really happens in the world of forensic investigations. It's not like what you see on TV. So hold on tight as we take a walkthrough of some gruesome crime scenes and controversial cases, many of which are too brutal for most people to imagine, and sometimes even for the experts. Join Howard Ryan and his guest experts from around the world for a no-nonsense ringside seat as they take you under the yellow tape. Hey everyone, welcome to Under the Yellow Tape. I'm Howie Ryan. Today what we're going to do is we're going to continue with a uh, kind of a, a, a show option that we, we come up with, which we call a conversation with an American hero. One of the reasons we came up with this idea on Under the Yellow Tape is oftentimes, you've heard me say this before, but oftentimes we hear about uh, the men and women of our armed services uh, cycling back into the civilian world. And I think too many times we're inundated with hearing stories of difficulties and problems and this and that. And it is our job to help them always. But what I want to focus on, and I did uh, with a previous episode we did with Jason Casper is continue talking to some people that have cycled into the civilian world that have really done what I think is amazing things and have, have contributed to society in a way that's really worth mentioning. And in a way they've done things that I think is, is worth us using this platform to get it out there and let you hear about it and appreciate what the people of your armed services, your armed forces are doing when they, when they come back home and they, they get back into whether it's just civilian life in general or the corporate world or, or whatever it may be. So today we have uh, a friend of mine, Mike Rogers. And, um, I wanted, I asked him to come on because, uh, his story to me is amazing. When I first heard what he was doing, I sat down and I listened to a presentation, uh, that was done by him and another gentleman. And I was amazed at what they told us. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go through we're going to talk to Mike about his, his life uh, before military, military, um, and then what he's doing now. And I think you're going to want to hang on and listen to this because what he's doing now, I'm going to tell you right now, right up front, it affects all of you. Anybody that has a family, anybody that leaves home to go to work, anybody that has a child in a school system that, uh, you know, when we get off of this, the Zoom kick and the virtual learning and they go back. It's very, very important. You're going to want to hear it and you're really going to want to pay attention because it's spectacular. So uh, Mike, man, listen, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you being here, bud. Thanks, brother. I really appreciate the opportunity and, uh, you know, thank you. Ah, no problem. So tell me, listen, I know, uh, you know, full disclosure, I know your family. I know your dad. I worked with your dad and um, in the New Jersey State Police, who is a, uh, a mentor to many many troopers on the job, but what a good guy, Frank Rogers. And, um, tell me how you got into the whole, you know, the, the path you took, the military path and everything else. Tell us about your family. Yeah, thanks. So I, I come from a long family of law enforcement and public safety professionals. That's what the family's done for five generations. You know, we came over, 
in the late 1800s from Ireland and, you know, kind of settled in the country. And for every generation here to forward has been a, a law enforcement professional. And really, I'm the first one not to do that. So, um, you know, following 9-11, decided I want to start in the military. I was fortunate. I uh, got into West Point. I think that the admission standards were probably down for a couple of years because there were two wars going on. So they kind of let me slide through there. Um, and then from there, I kind of went and, you know, did some time in the 82nd Airborne and then ultimately was selected for service in the 75th Range Regiment. Nice. Nice. Now, I know, you know, when you, when you explain that, you know, I went to the 82nd Airborne and then I was, went to selection, you kind of made it sound like, well, you know, I just, I just did that. I just decided to do that. That's really not that easy of a thing. I know you're humble. Um, selection for, for the Ranger Regiment's a big deal. Uh, explain to me a little bit, you hear this conversation, if you, if you will. And, and for those of us that don't know, the difference between a Ranger tab and a Ranger scroll. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the Ranger tab is uh, signifies that you're a graduate of the U.S. Army Ranger School, which is the premier leadership school for the Army. And they have other services that go there as well, but predominantly it's an Army school. Um, and it's really, you know, 62 days if you do it right through, uh, you know, a lot, of, lot less of sleep, uh, not that much sleep, not that much food, and ultimately trying to lead in those conditions. Um, but that's kind of a precursor for even putting your packet in to go to selection as an officer. So I, you know, my route kind of was, I graduated West Point. I was a fires officer. So I did some time at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Then as, then I went to Ranger school upon a graduate Ranger school, I went to my first unit in the 82nd Airborne. Um, now I had my tab. Um, ultimately at that point I was able to apply for selection in the service and the Ranger Regiment. And then when I was accepted, that's when I went to the Ranger Regiment, which is a unit of just, you know, commandos of Rangers really kind of specializing in night raids, at least for the last 10 years, that's what we've been doing. And airfield seizures is the primary mission set of the range regiment. But once you have, you know, the school and then ultimately you serve in the unit, that's when you transition from a tab to a scroll. I gotcha. Okay. So the ranger regiment, um, not everybody that goes to ranger school ends up in a ranger regiment. Ranger regiment's a a very uh, elite selective process. Yep. Yeah. It's not a lot of guys get there. So it is the 75th Ranger Regiment, correct? That it is, yep. And there's three, there's three line battalions and then some support functionality around that. And you, I might bring up, were um, assigned to the 175, uh, otherwise known as the Imperial Battalion. <laughs> is that some, correct? Some have called it that or the Beach Battalion. Yeah, <laughs> we were very fortunate stationed down in Savannah, Georgia, you know, Hunter Army Airfield, which is just an you know, amazing assignment as a, uh, as a junior officer, really as a service member in general. You know, it's kind of rare to be in a really cool city like Savannah. So I was very fortunate in that aspect. Nice. Now, during your time, um, you, you you did multiple deployments. Is that correct? It is, yeah. I did uh, two deployments when I was in the 82nd. So my first was very unconventional. It was to Haiti in 2010 for the earthquake in uh, Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Came back from that, did a couple month deployment to Afghanistan in the western portion of Afghanistan, a place called Shaws, Afghanistan on the Iranian border. Spent about four months there, came back stateside. And then, you know, as soon as I got back to the U.S., I went right to uh, RASP or selection for range regiment. And then uh, as soon as I graduated RASP, I went to 1st Battalion and then was able to deploy the, you know, quickly thereafter. And then, you know, the deployment cycle for the range of battalions is, is pretty quick. It's between three to six months, but you're deploying every year. And it's a very high high tempo, high kinetic environment. Um, so, but they're able to rotate it in and out very quickly. So I have mm-hmm. five, five total deployments for the combat in Afghanistan. Nice, man. Like, you know, I'll say it here again. Like I said, when I was talking to Jason, you know, this country, you know, the people of this country, myself and everybody else here, we, we owe you a debt of gratitude. We probably could never actually repay. 
Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're so blessed in this country to have a volunteer uh, armed forces of, of people of your caliber that step up and do this. Because you explained to me, and what I mean by that, uh, and I mean it sincerely, but what I also remember you telling me is, is some of your assignments, the, 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 and if you could explain the fires officer and, 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 you know, the traffic control and how, how dynamic it can be. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I appreciate you saying that, Howie, and, you know, trust me, it was professionally, it was the best time of my entire life and you, you know, you paid your taxes. So I appreciate you foot the bill for me, for me. <laughs> you getting got to it, do, man. Yeah. For me going to go getting to do what I wanted to do. It was, it was spectacular and wish I would, I look back on it very fondly. Um, but you know, my primary responsibility was as a fires officer. So really one that controls the aerial assets and the indirect fire capabilities for the strike force. So when I was in the 82nd airborne, it was more of conventional, it was a conventional army unit, the, you know, the best conventional army unit, but it's still a conventional unit. So you're using, you know, traditional means of artillery, you're using, you know, mortar systems, indirect fires platforms. And I was responsible for that aspect of it in support of a ground force. Um, and then you, you start to touch a little, a little bit upon kind of the like more traditional fires, which is fixed wing and rotary wing aircraft to support the ground force. But like my first deployment in Afghanistan, I probably touched, you know, three or sets, three or four different sets of aircraft, you know, Apaches would come in and they would do their thing with us. And, you know, you know, a pair of F-18s would check on, but that was kind of rare. And then ultimately when I went to the range regiment, we were kind of a, a little bit away from the traditional means of artillery, although we brought mortars with us. Um, it was a very heavy um, aerial package. So my responsibilities were getting us to the fight, bringing us home, the medical evacuations, the casualty evacuations, you know, the use of terminal fires off of rotary wing and fixed wing aircraft. That was kind of my purview. And specifically, my responsibility was kind of the primary advisor for the ground force commander on how to use those assets. So, but, you know, the guys, I, you know, I was one of a, a number of individuals that would go out and do that. So I was the officer that was also working with the non-commissioned officers that are either JTACs or SOTAX, which is, you know, those that are legally dropping the bombs um, on the enemy. I think it's, I think it's, um, I, I know when you describe uh, this, it it seems, it's like any of us that have a job and we describe something that we do day to day, you can, yeah, you kind of have a way of describing it in a very um, simplistic way. I'll, I'll put it that way. But I, the reason I bring this up on this episode, and I wanted you to go through that, is, you know, everybody listen, I want you to try to imagine what it's like. You're on the ground, you're in a firefight, you got to call in air support, you have multiple layers of air support. Somebody's got to choreograph this to avoid friendly fire incidents or accidents to happening in, in, in a combat zone like that. And it is like, I can't even imagine how, uh, you know, how, how stressed out it must be at times. But having said that, one of the reasons um, that we met and we talked about is something you were working with over there. And it was a specific, um, piece of software that, that yep. you showed to us that, you know, kind of, kind of laid out your, your, your program and, uh, with it, with what's called a gridded reference graphic and, and how you use it. Can you explain that to everybody? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a very simple map or common operating picture that I was introduced to when I got to the 75th Range Regiment. And it was really simple. And that's kind of the, the, uh, this, what's so special about it. But when you kind of, you know, backing up and you know, I can appreciate what you're saying about the complexity. And it's a very complex thing that we're doing because it's also at, you know, two o'clock in the morning um, in a very austere environment. 
but you also kind of rely on you know your training and then everything from I learned at West Point and then lessons learned in the eighty second. Then ultimately, when I got to the Range Regiment, got to learn from all the great you know people I worked with there, and that's again where I was introduced to this gridded reference graphic or a GRG. What it is is just a simple piece of aerial imagery that is standardized, gridded out a specific way. All the buildings are labeled, all the intersections are labeled, and it's made mandatory that everybody has access to it. And when you look at it, it it's so simple. But it's it's the technique that's literally been used to plan and execute every single night raid for really the last 15 years of the war, you know, to include the bin Laden raid. And you think about the significance of that for our country and all the technology and, and you know, all the resources that were brought to bear. We were the best resource military in the history of the world. We had more repetitions on how to do this type of this type of operation. You know, they literally had a space shuttle to deliver them to the target compound. But when they got there, they used a very simple printed out map. And we were able to take that and then the help you mentioned my father before, he was instrumental in us taking what we learned overseas and kind of pivoting it back domestically. And then from mm-hmm. those lessons learned, you know, we, you know, we were able to, we grew a business, but it's funny when I kind of recall it, as you're talking about it, when I was in the 82nd, I mentioned it earlier when I was talking, you know, to an, an Apache helicopter and they would kind of check in and I would try to give them guidance or just communicate to this pilot that I've never met before. You know, I'd be looking at, I'd have my compass out and I'm kind of, you know, looking at a one to 50,000 map and I'm trying to articulate to this pilot who's got a totally different vantage point than me. And it was a, it's a difficult thing. And, you know, that was, that was only one set of aircraft and that was during the day at, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon. And then, you know, when I got to, you know, range of battalion, I got to see how they were doing it there and because of this simple piece of paper, it simplified the entire way of planning and executing and ultimately commuting, communicating during operations because everybody had it. So I could have a pair of, you know, AH six little birds that I'm, talking to off this graphic and an Apache and an A-10 and a Spectre gunship and a drone. And I could speak to 15, you know, 15 different pilots off of one document where before I, you know, six months earlier, I was having a hard time communicating to two because that must learn to just you know, simplify how you talk with each other. I think it's, um, you know, when people hear that, they say, wow, you know, that sounds pretty highly technical. And when I, when I first heard you speak, um, and you introduced us to the software and we looked at it for the first time. It began as, oh my God, am I going to be able to keep up with this and understand what they're doing? Because this is a military component. And then what you showed was so simple. And it was like, you, you know, that kind of you slap your hand on your forehead and you're like, oh my God, this is simple. And, de- you know, to, to, to back up a little bit, like I read a book um, by uh, by two gentlemen, former veterans, uh, General Stanley McChrystal being one of them, team of teams. And one of the things they talk about in there is the concept of JSOC, the Joint Special Operations Command, and how during this conflict in the Middle East, the, the American military, they changed some things they did on the fly to get better. And like how you just said, you know, this military right now is, is, is honed to a razor's edge, the best there's ever been in history, the best there's ever been in the world. And some of what they do to improve is simplifying. So to give you an example of what I, what I read in the book was, Okay, you have the different branches of the military, and in each branch you have your chain of command that rises all the way up to, you know, uh, the head of the army, the head of the navy, the head of of the air force. But they kind of created JSOC to get rid of that silo effect that slowed everything down. And I think it's important to mention that because this gridded reference graphic is a very simple document. It kind of does the same thing. It it keeps you from slowing down. It enables you to speed up, but also maintain a very high level 
of efficiency. Would would that be correct? Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at this, one of the secrets in JSOC is how collaborative an organization it is. You have the intelligence communities have a piece there. You have all the different branches of the military represented. And why that gridded reference graphic plugged into that was because it simplified our ability for a Navy SEAL to talk to an Army Ranger who's talking to a Delta operator, all mm-hmm. based on this common language. And what was kind of cool when you look at it is, you know, you look at every different you know individual who's going out conducting operations at night. You know, we're all wearing different types of boots. We're all wearing different types of gloves and eyewear. And, you know, it's kind of shooter preference. But the one thing that we could all at least agree on, because it was so important, was this simple common operating picture, mm-hmm. because it just really worked. And that's where, you know, war to your, you know, you're talking about we're at this razor's edge. You know, war just provides this unique laboratory for us to solve complex problems. And that's yeah. when we kind of less study those lessons learned. You look back to trauma management and how that came off the battlefields of Korea and Vietnam, what that brought home. Even, you know, look how a police officer is outfitted today. You know, a lot of them are carrying tourniquets. You know, prior to 9-11, that, that was not part of the equation for a traditional. And you could attest to that with your background sure. better than I could. But, you know, again, those lessons learned came home. This is no different. And I think it's our responsibility domestically to look overseas and say, you know, a lot of terrible things happen over there. But what can we learn from those and ultimately bring home domestically to increase safety, security and make this a, a safer place to live? Yeah. I, 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 it's been amazing before I get into what you're doing now, which I want to spend a lot of time on because I really want people to understand it. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about how I met you and we learned about it. Um, I was working, uh, for a County at the time and, uh, you guys had come up to do a presentation and I walked in, sat down and listened to it. I saw the concept of this GRG. And if you've never seen one, it, it's literally a piece of paper or a, or a computer image on a screen. And it is a gridded graphic with an aerial image looking straight down, an orthographic image looking straight down on whatever it is you're working on. In your case over there, it could have been a village in, in the Hindu Kush mountains or, or whatever. Here, it could be a high school. It could be a hospital. It could be anything. And you guys started to explain how you used it. And I, from my background, I immediately just sat there. I was listening, but then my ADD kicked and I started to think about like what I do and like typical, right? You're a government, you're, you're working for a police department or you're working for them. How could this help me in what I do? How could I, how could I use this? Well, the way I look at it and I cause I want to speak t- today to really the military people already know what this is. Okay. But I want to speak to the law enforcement professionals and the, any, uh, first responder community. Then I want to speak to parents. So I'm going to speak to the first responder community first on this. The way I looked at it was, how could it help me? All right. So I say this in a lot of this classes that we teach. The people that are ultimately, and when we do an investigation, the, the people that ultimately matter are the jurors that are going to hear the case. If we're going to go to court, the jurors make the decision, right? You have prosecutors present, defense attorneys defend, they argue, your witnesses testify, the judge is the referee, but the jury of just civilians, some lay people, varying degrees of intelligence and backgrounds and whatever. They have to make the decision. 66% of the world's population, roughly, are visual learners. And when I'm sat and I listened to you the first time, I thought of that. And I went, ah, this is a visual aspect that we've not used before. We've taken aerial photos from a helicopter, but we can't really scale them. We're not doing accurate photogrammetry. We're taking from oblique angles. 
we're not, they're not as useful as to what you were doing. And I started thinking, holy cow, man, we, we can use this. This is something that we can do. What's, that's what piqued my interest. We went on to use it on several cases, um, some pretty big ones. I'll give you an example. There was one in Texas where uh, a man abducted a child and he did unspeakably horrible things to this child before he ended up killing this child. We were asked to come in and help. Um, you guys were awesome gave us a hand. We, uh, using some of his cell phone tracking in the, in the cellular, cellular analysis stuff, we were able to use the GRG to ultimately show first the DAs, then the other side who was going to defend him. And it never went to a jury because there was a plea, but it hemmed him into a corner. We used a visual graphic that was simple to show his tracking and his time where he moved and what he did and just how devious his actions were and what aggravate, what an aggravating factor it was. So when I speak to the first responder community, that's one part, the investigative part, the bigger part is kind of what you're doing now. And when you got out of the military, I know you originally worked, um, at Princeton university. Is that correct? I did. Yes. I was transitioning from the military. Very fortunate. Um, I had a family member that was six. My mother-in-law was diagnosed with brain cancer. So as we transitioned out of the range regiment, was very fortunate and got an assignment to Princeton to teach military science there, which was just a spectacular transitional assignment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, difficult is, you know, I was laughing with my wife this morning, you know, on a Friday afternoon, I was standing in a range of time, which is a very specific culture. And, you know, on Monday I was standing on a, you know, a college university track with a bunch yeah. of students from Princeton. So, you know, kind of a culture shock to me yeah, and, it was. and a bigger culture shock to the students, if I'm, if I'm being honest. And, um, but it, it was ultimately just this greatest, you know, this great assignment. And then from there, that's when I had the idea to start the business. And, uh, I, I reached out to one of my best friends that I served in the range regiment with a gentleman by the name of Ethan clean, who was just everything he, the man does is perfect. I you know, respect him more than anything. Uh, he, he got banged up on a deployment in 2011. And, uh, so he had left, he, but he came back to the unit, you know, redeployed with the unit again, was back out on target, you know, a year later after getting hurt, um, and, you know, reached out to him to start the business. And we kind of came up with, you know, if you can figure out how to build these things, I'll figure out how to do the other stuff. And that's where it all mm -hmm. got started. And just because we saw a need. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> the software, um, is the let's talk about the company that came up with the software a little bit yeah and and uh and and your relationship with them if you would yeah absolutely so it's a very large defense contracting firm called bae systems you know where they're where they're the domestic partner really within the public safety space and help kind of take some of the things that they've developed and assist in, in, in selling and ultimately bring it to bring it to market in a, the public safety arena but one of the big things that we learned is and this is ultimately why crg was was born was you know, the final product that we build is very simple, but the process that we go through is extremely technical to make this final product that's super simple. Um, so when I first met you up in uh, when you were working back in the county, we were trying to advance that departments should buy the software themselves and ultimately build the graphics we were doing. And then, you know, that was a failed model, to be honest. We realized that it was a much more technical thing than we initially anticipated. You know, just the sourcing of imagery. You know, when we're when we're looking at the schematics associated with the structure that are all wrong, how do you solve that problem, which is pretty complex? Um, and then ultimately said, okay, well, this is too complex for public safety because they're so busy to do themselves. We'll stand up a capability to support them, and, and that's when you know Ethan got real smart on the tech. 
and we started, you know, you know, bringing on individuals that were much more technical than us to, uh, to scale the business. I think your business, um, first of all, it's CRG. Yep. Right. Critical response group. Yes, sir. And, uh, it's crgplans.com. If anybody wants to look it up, we'll say it again later too, but I want you, I want to talk about CRG and what you're doing, especially now. I mean, now CRG is, um, man, I've watched this from the beginning. I was, I was, you know, meeting up with you and, and communication and using your software and getting help from you before, before you really launched into what you are now. But so for the parents, you know, I said, I speak to the, this is, this is kind of both for first responder community and parents and parents. I got, I got to drive that point home. You got to listen to this because you're going to flip out if your school doesn't have this when we're done talking about it, you're going to, you're going to be concerned and you should be. So CRG plans puts together. I want to talk a little bit about your staff. I mean, you drew, see, this is a great business model too. You drew from the, from the, um, from the disciplines you needed. There's no fluff here. I mean, you went right after various retired law enforcement officials because you're moving into the private civilian sector with, with a lot of experience, 25, 35 years of experience on some of these people. You've got people from the military special operations community. You mentioned Ethan, right? Um, you have other gentlemen from the United States Marine Corps, Marine Corps Raiders from the MARSOC community. Um, you have Rangers in there that have won Purple Hearts, Bronze and Silver Stars for gallantry and action. I mean, these are, in the military world, these are pipe hitters. These are the guys that do it. These are the guys that did it for real. They went out, they got into it. They were the hunters. This is not somebody that's operating on theory or hearsay. They were there. They held these in their hand and they executed these missions. So I think it's great that you're, you're pulling from the law enforcement community that you're about to go into or assist. You're pulling from the people that were downrange in the real, in the middle of it that used it and can tell you where it succeeded, where it failed and how to change it. Um, and you've also got a group of people from the, basically from the corporate business world as guidance. And then you did what I thought was one of the coolest things in the world. You went over to the local university and, and go ahead and explain if you would, how you did that. I think it's a great thing because you offered them uh, something very valuable. Yeah. No, you know, we understand and we wanted to keep the business model simple and that, you know, I think a lot of people today make things too complicated. Um, so uh, as you highlighted, you know, my background and, you know, built out the, the military aspect of it. And then as we, but we very quickly realized that the military special operations personnel had this great credibility and, and use of the tool, but no one knew actually how to make the widget other than Ethan. And then you have the law enforcement professionals who were you know, spectacular. They understand the market, how to train it, implement the policies around it, get everybody actually using it, uh, you know, great, but also not technical. So as we started to try to scale the business, that just wasn't this, we didn't have the technical skill set that we needed. So we went to the local universities and around the office, and we actually put the office right in the middle of three very large uh, universities in New Jersey, College of New Jersey, uh, Ryder University, and Princeton University. We're literally right in the middle of that, three minutes from each of them, um, and went to establish programs with the, those locations to hire out, you know, just the, the best and brightest talent coming out of uh, really the, their technical programs within the school. So, we, and we usually bring them on for, you know, a couple months, get them trained up. And more often than not, the, these kids just do an absolutely, I call them kids, they're, they're young professionals, just do an absolutely bang up job. Every day we're impressed with them. You know, the things, you know, we have a very collaborative team that we're, you know, taking lots of feedback and, you know, all the time they're coming in with new and new and innovative ways to do it better, faster, 
you know, more efficient, make it look better. You know, so just a really cool team, very cool culture we've built within the company. Now, I think it's important that we talked about what it is and, and, and we gave a brief overview of, of the orthographic image and what it is. I want to talk about where this comes into play and where it would have come into play had it been implemented by some of these locations around the country. So unfortunately, you know, starting, well, it's not starting, but, you know, Columbine High School was the big, was the big school shooting that kind of kicked off this, this mayhem we've been dealing with for since then. There were school shootings before that. I don't want to make it sound like it was the first one ever. But um, there's been changes in law enforcement. Uh, but anybody that works in law enforcement or, or has family in law enforcement, you probably know, change is slow. Anything government related is always slow. And, you know, the, the, a lot of the players on the ground knew what changes needed to be done, but getting it done is always a little bit of a nightmare. There's little things that went on, you know, um, you know, in every police car, there used to be police were given a pistol and a, and probably a shotgun. Some of the agencies carried the shotgun in the trunk. Some of them out of them in racks in the front seat for easy access. Everything today is, is patrol rifle, create distance, be able to engage a hostile individual from a distance and do what we have to do. That was one minor change. This is a major change. There's been incidents, um, you know, Marjorie Stone in high school, Columbine, you name it, Newtown, um, Christopher Dorner going on the shooting spree in LA, you name it. There's, there's handfuls of incidents around this country that have happened, but the common, the common thread, and you could talk to this, Mike, is in their after action reports, in the reviews of what could we have done better? I think one of the overwhelming factors that it keeps being mentioned is better coordination. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a complex problem as you start to look at it, where you've got, you know, and all those after actions that you've kind of touched on there, it's continuously highlighted that, you know, everyone's going to this location. Most often it's the first time they've ever been there before. They're working with individuals they've never met before from a mutual aid, um, you know, let's say it's just police, let's a mutual aid police department or a different discipline. Again, you're working with someone in an un, you know, unknown environment with unknown people. You know, that's a very complex thing uh, to solve in an efficient manner. Yeah. And when it happens, uh, you know, you get a call like that. It's, it's, there's a, there's a mayhem that goes on that the public often doesn't see. You know, you may have, and I'll give you an example. Let's do a hypothetical. You have shots fired at a high school, right? And we, we have an active shooter scenario and they train for active shooter scenarios. But the difference is you don't know exactly who's going to be available on any given day. And you're going to have fire, fire departments responding. You're going to have paramedics responding. You're going to have police from multiple agencies responding. These things go out, like you said, as a mutual aid. Everybody's rushing. Everybody wants to help. The intentions are all good. but you know, you don't, they, they, where are they going? Are they even being told where they're going? You know, if you look at that one in Florida where the, where they, they criticized the one officer for staying outside. And then I, you know, we heard later and I don't know how true any of it really is, is that he was told to wait by a captain who was back at the police headquarters. And it was a kind of an example, a really good example of like, we don't all know what's going on, but we're all going to start making decisions and giving orders. And that, that, that is where things get kind of disjointed, really messy, really fast. The other thing you have to think about and how dangerous these incidents become, you have all these officers running there. Everybody's armed. Who's who? 
Are people showing up in plain clothes? Are they going in the school? This, that, and the other thing. What this does, and I've learned this, 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 what CRG has kind of perfected is it is a communication technique. It is a complete overall operating system, and it's a playbook that everybody gets simultaneously. So instructions can be given, and there is no confusion as to where you're going. And why don't you explain it? You explain it way better than I do. Like how a response, a typical response to a major event with multiple entities and multiple, uh, you know, first responder entities, how, how it would go. Yeah, to your, to your point, really, where the, some of the inspiration behind this was, was my wife was a school teacher on Fort Dix Elementary School. So I, don't, I think you've, you're familiar with where that is. And, I am. And as I started to look at the her specific situation, and again, this was the inspiration for the whole thing, was she's a third grade teacher in the school, but it's on a military base. And on that military base, you had Army security forces like MPs, and you had Air Force security forces. So just on the base alone, there's two different little police departments. Right outside the gate, she's literally 100 meters from the gate, there's a municipality. But there's really like two municipalities, kind of the way the base was laid out there, which is also in the middle of two counties and ultimately in the state. So as you just came within, you know, five miles of her school, there's five different police departments that have, you know, responsibilities there, not including the state and the federal partners. And I started to look at it and say, well, if something happened, how do they even find her school? And then that's what really kind of drove us into the true nature of an incident response. And that's something we really pride ourselves on. And I see so many people out here with the latest graduate widget trying to solve the problem. And they fundamentally just don't understand the problem that they're trying to solve. And so as we started to look at it, the, the, the problems made worse because all those different agencies that I just identified are all showing up with different pieces of technology for dispatch, mm -hmm. for radio communication, for situational awareness. So if you're coming in there saying, well, we're going to make sure everyone's on the same exact platform, realistically, that's never going to happen. You know, that's just, that's the unfortunate reality of the space. And because we understood that, we found ways, once we created these graphics, to put the maps into all the systems that people were used to showing up with. And through that, we were able to use the content to create a common operating picture. Really, this just common language that everyone could speak to when they showed up at that location. And but the problem is you kind of start peeling the onion layers back. The problem just gets worse and worse. And, you know, as we got into this, I never would have thought in a million years that the schematics and the blueprints for schools were so out of date. And, you know, we'll look at that stuff as we're starting a process just to see if there's anything accurate there. And, you know, we've done, you know, tens of thousands of schools across the country. And, and that, we're not just doing schools, we're doing hospitals and sporting venues and very large corporate, you know, household names, like all their manufacturing facilities, things like that. But every time we start that project and we just look what's initially there, nothing is ever even remotely close to accurate. But today, if we're not doing that work, that's what all first responders have is inaccurate information. So mm -hmm. we wanted to make sure that at least when they show up, they have accurate information in the systems that they're used to using every day. And if we can at least advance the ball that far, we enable everyone to communicate and collaborate. And that's where we kind of point back towards the military and say, you know, all these lessons learned overseas, we are dealing with the same exact problem set overseas. You have this very collaborative force within the Joint Special Operations community trying to work together, which represents a domestic response today. And those units would every, always go out. My, every night I'd go out and conduct a night raid, I would go to a location I had never been to before. Just like the responders responding to a critical incident in the United States that they've never been to before. And how do we work? Well, we just realized the importance of communication and collaboration. Hence, you know, that's why we're pushing the work that we're doing so hard domestically. Yeah. Well, I think another and another com important component, one of the things that really uh, struck me as brilliant about the thing is you also can distribute this immediately. 
like simultaneously via cell phone, MDTs and cars, which are the computers and the police cars and, and whatnot. Explain how that works too. Yeah. So one of the things we're very fortunate, uh, again, our relationship with BAE systems, one, you know, from them, we utilize the software to build the graphics. That's kind of step one of this. Two is, you know, that software enables us to disseminate it across multiple different platforms, but they do have a mobile application that we represent called GXP on scene. So specifically in New Jersey, you know, majority of the police departments uh, in New Jersey use this as a mutual aid tool. And it's, it's a very simple, you know, mobile application that enables us to disseminate the graphics and enable real-time tracking of the officers, independent of uh, jurisdiction, independent of discipline. There's, you know, it's multi-agency, multidisciplinary response, which is the reality of the situation is, you know, at least in New Jersey and a number of different states where that te- technology is deployed, it kind of sits at a higher altitude. So what that enables us to do is push the data out very quickly. Now it's always stored there. They can just retrieve it in a matter of seconds. Um, but because those networks are established and we understand how to disseminate the information, we can also push real-time information out. So if there's a barricaded subject, um, if there's a missing child, if there's something that's a dynamic, you know, a dynamic situation, we can create these graphics very efficiently and push them across the network, just like we were used to doing in the military. You know, within the community I come from, you know, these maps are blown out the door in a matter of minutes. And we wanted to replicate that same exact thing here. Because if the, you know, if the if the situation's unfolding. And, you know, a graphic shows up two hours into the event, rightfully so, no one's going to use it. So we want to lean into it as do as much of it ahead of time as possible. But then again, if it's a, a location that's not mapped or it's something, you know, a child walks off into the woods and we need a graphic, you know, create a graphic, we can also do that efficiently. You know, for the parents out there of school-aged children, I want you to, I want you to think about this. You know, God forbid the situation ever arises where your school has to go on a lockdown, whether it's a precautionary measure or whether there's an actual incident going on. And the call for help goes out. When everybody starts going there in, you know, in times past, and in some places it still is because they're not up to speed on this, everybody's running a million miles an hour trying to get into the fire. And they're, they sometimes are creating more of a problem than they are really actually helping it. So let me, a little scenario. You may have multiple agencies going to, you know, Main Street Elementary School and, you know, wherever. Those officers don't know where classroom 141 is or, you know, the East hallway or whatever. They don't know the building, but they will. And with this system, and I have seen it work, they will know exactly where they're going before they get there. You know, they will be told you are going to enter, you know, door 121. They're going to look at that graphic. They're going to see where it is. You're going to approach from a grid sector, such and such. You're going to enter the blue hallway. Run 21 is the third room on the left. They're going to have the layout. I, I don't know how to tell you if you're not picking up on how important that is. If it's just fundamental. It is. It's, it's, it's so fundamental. And that's what's, that's what's missing in the space right now. And you look at when these schools, everyone, you know, in the current environment is trying to buy new tech, rightfully so, to increase their level of preparation and security. Just talking about public schools for a second. But the problem is that as you look at all the different schools are buying different tech. So I'm from you know, a county in New Jersey that's got about 40 different municipalities. So 40 different districts, school districts. Those 40 different districts have bought 40 different types of panic buttons, different types of alarms. You know, but now imagine you're the regional public safety answering point, the 911 dispatch center, or you're the regional SWAT team. And you've got 40 different types of tech that you're, you're expected to know how to use because someone procured it. That's just unrealistic. So they just don't use it because how could we possibly expect them to? So what we did is, you know, again, it's, it's, it's software, but 
really it's a technique, it's a language, it's just a better way of doing business. And it's a very simple fix to, okay, everybody buy whatever you want, who cares? But we're going to take this map and put it into all the different systems. So although this panic button goes off and it's got this map, well, the police department that's showing up with their piece of technology has the map. The public safety answering point that's doing the dispatching and receiving that initial call, you know, they have the same map. You know, the, when the state police shows up, the state police is, you know, in New Jersey, we have a thing called the New Jersey State Mapping Initiative. Their intent is to do every single school in the state of New Jersey, you know, because they want to have, they looked at their problem set of there's 20 or 2,000 plus schools in New Jersey. There's got to be a standard to how all those schools are mapped and put on file. And, and now this has become the standard and it's just kind of, you know, really quickly grown from there. It's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, and, and when I first saw it, I was, again, I, you know, I wrap my head around the investigative part of it, but, uh, when you get into this component, uh, this is, this is pretty amazing. Now you're also doing, I mean, you're doing hospitals, you're doing corporate infrastructure. Give me, give me a, 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 you know, some examples of other where, yeah. where it's being utilized. I, I don't yeah. want people to think this is new and untested. This is in, this is in play. No, it's, and it's cool. And really, when you look at the problem we're solving, you know, it all starts around the schools because, it's, you know, they are truly our most precious resource and we want to protect them. It's a very soft target. But now that we create this standard around the schools, it just very quickly and easily bleeds into different pieces of critical infrastructure in that community because now we've provided the police departments and the fire departments and the public safety telecommunicators, the medical professionals with this with the, these pre-plans, this language for the schools, well, just naturally, well, if the schools are planned a certain way, why isn't the hospital? Why isn't the sporting venue? Why is, aren't the places of worship? Why aren't the malls, um, transportation hubs? And it's really kind of grown parks, amusement parks. Um, and it just become now imagine that 200 pieces of critical infrastructure in a community or in a, in a county are all planned exactly the same way. And that way it's simple. You know, every police officer in this county has every single school correct, standardized in an, in a file format they can actually access on them at all times. Mm-hmm. And that way, if a police officer from a different department they've never met with before, everyone can pull it out and understand where, you know, room two is in a building that they've never been to before. So it's, it's just a totally different way of coming at the problem set. And it's simply because as we built our team out with the public safety professionals, we were able to truly understand uh, the problem. And I think where we're just a different type of business and as I look at anybody that, you know, is either looking to try to do what we're doing or is, is in the space, um, you know, they, they have one or two public safety professionals as an advisor on their company. You know, our team was built in the image and likeness of those that we were trying to assist. And so it's, it's just a different type of culture. It's a different type of way of trying to solve the problem. Well, when I've been down at your office, I mean, it's it, the first thing you understand when you walk in the door is it's mission oriented this is getting done. This is not a, nobody's sitting around just with their feet up. This is going on. It's well, happening it's, right in front of you. Yeah, I mean, well, it's have really a lot funny. of fun, but yeah, we have a great time. Well, it's really funny. I have a very close friend of mine. He's an officer in Delta. We're in the, we went to West Point together. We went to range regiment together. Um, and now he's ultimately down in the unit and he walked into our, uh, our office when he was up here a couple months ago. And he was like, dude, this looks just like a deployment jock overseas, just kind of like our operations center, which to me was an yeah. extreme compliment. Um, because those, those places are built for one purpose and it's to get work done as efficiently as possible and and accomplish the mission. Uh, And that's exactly what we bring in, um, to the company is that, is that mission, that mission tempo. And that's, what's so cool about the, uh, 
you know, the individuals that we hire on the team out of the special operations community is they all come with that mindset and as, as do the public safety professionals and as do the individuals that are working on our, from a technical perspective, everyone's kind of inculcated in this culture of just, you know, figuring it out. And that's, you know, uh, Phil Coyne. I think you, you know, Phil pretty well. Phil's the best. I do. And uh, I do. so Phil was, you know, used to be the director of the, uh, the Fusion Center in State of New Jersey. He just brings this, you know, this really unique perspective to the team. But he always talks about the, the military and Phil works, you know, harder than anybody. Um, but when you talk to him and he kind of talks about the military special operations individuals, He's like, you guys have no, like, no off switch. There is no, like, think that's outside the realm of possibility. You know, you'll just work 24 hours a day until the thing gets accomplished. And, and that's what's so cool about the individuals that we have across the country that work with us as they come out of the Raider battalions or the Ranger battalions. They take that mentality of, you know, just pushing the boulder up the hill, you know, and they, and they come and apply those skills here. And they're able to take what they learn overseas and, apply it domestically and partner with public safety professionals in their own areas. Um, and which is really cool is that the transition from the military is, is not an easy thing, but when you come into what we're doing, it's an easier thing because you know, we've kind of start, we've built this tribe, we take care of each other uh, and we're all have a mission again. And uh, I think that's an important piece as to why we're so successful. Uh, the one of the things I saw sitting in your office, the one time at the conference in the conference room at the table was as I looked around the table, there wasn't, a, there was not a question that I don't think would have let, gone unanswered. Well, it may not have been everybody at the table, but there was somebody at that table that knew the answer. And that's one of the things that impressed me the most is you surrounded yourself with, with players, with operators, you know, um, with, with the real deal and, and they got it done. Uh, uh, one of the things too, I, I want to speak from a little bit of experience on this in the County I was in, I'm going to tell you it was Morris County, New Jersey, probably one of the best run counties that I've ever seen. I've ever seen. I teach all over the country. Morris County, New Jersey is second to nobody uh, in my in my humble opinion. Now, that's not because I worked there because I was only there two years, but I'm going to tell you right now. There's a guy there by the name of Scott DiGiralamo, and I'm going to mention his name because I think he's, he's pretty awesome. Uh, he is the head of their public safety. This is one of the most forward-thinking guys I have ever seen in this position. He makes going to work there a pleasure you know that you're going to be equipped. You know that decisions are going to be made. He asks the right questions. He vets everything. He researches everything. He's really a different kind of person. He's the guy you want to hire. If, if you're ramping something like this up, he's the guy you want to run it. And he, when he heard this, he bought into this. Well, we've used it there and I've been there. We've had missing people out in an area called the Great Swamp and you know, we've had uh, silver alerts, amber alerts, people up and walking, you know, elderly people walking away with dementia. Uh, he puts drones up and these GRGs go live and everybody's on the same page within minutes. And it's every single one of them has come to a successful conclusion. And, and, and it really revolves around this, this common operating system that, that you built and, you know, his, his foresight and his willingness to really adapt it and say, yes, this really does work. I mean, there's a couple guys over there. I'll mention Scott DiGiolamo is one, Jeff Paul's another. These guys get it done from a county standpoint. Uh, I was very, very impressed with them. And, um, they use it, you know, there's a lot of places that buy things, buy equipment, and it sits on a shelf and collects dust. Uh, those guys, they, they use it all the time and they've incorporated with other technology to make it even better. You know, the drone systems and stuff like that. Uh, man, I'll tell you what, I've seen it work firsthand and I, I am, uh, thoroughly impressed. I want to talk a little bit too about one other thing. Can you, well, I'm going to have you talk about it. It's your thing here. 
the nine one one I and and CRGs absolutely into that. Yeah, field. yeah, absolutely. Before we get into that, I just explain that to them. I want to one hundred percent, you know, pile on to what we were saying about Morris County. You know, they were really, you know, specifically Mr. DiGiolamo was one of the was the first person that saw what we were doing fresh out of the military, and was able to kind of pull you know pull this thing back and say, okay, this is where this is going. So just extremely progressive, and really, you know, this is where it is across the country today because of his willingness to look and say, okay, how do we take this? twist it and make it fit from a domestic perspective. Same with Jeff Paul, you know, Gino from the tact perspective, you know, they're just the most, one of the most professional teams, you know, we've had the opportunity to work with. So, you know, agree. I couldn't agree for it more with you. Um, <clears throat> 9-1-1-I is, is one of the, the more recent things we're doing as we start, and it's really shows a transformation within the business. And as we've become very successful with the mapping work, we saw the biggest thing that we were truly enabling within public safety was increased situational awareness. And because we had this, you know, real credibility from lessons learned overseas, the success with the mapping, we looked at and said, okay, what else does public safety need to increase security across, um, you know, really acro- across the, you know, the enterprise, across the market? And that's when we were introduced to 911i. Um, it's actually a technology developed in the UK. Uh, by a company called Capita, specifically for the fire service, which if you know anything about the fire service in England and in the UK, it's extremely progressive, extremely, um, you know, driven, you know, technical, technically driven decisions, you know, very efficient in the way they they, they manage their resources. Um, but as we started looking at how they're doing things overseas, we, we saw this use for it domestically. And the analogy that we use is in the military, in addition to using the, the GRGs to operate overseas, we also relied very heavily on, you know, drones and other, you know, video streaming collection platforms just to help us drive decisions from the command post, also down in the ground force. It gave us a different perspective on the battlefield and ultimately got to the point where those were, you know, mandatory before we were allowed to go out and conduct a night raid. You had to have an ISR or basically a surveillance asset that gave us this kind of above view look. So we wanted to find something similar to that you know, domestically. But as you look at, we've mentioned drones a couple of times today, that's not, you know, big enough. And there's, there's restrictions in terms of how quickly you can get those out there, you know, real time in the middle of, as an incident's occur, you know, unfolding. And we kind of started kicking that problem set around at the, at the, uh, at the table in the office. And, you know, someone brought up the fact that, well, every American in the country has got at least one cell phone. Why don't we look at how we leverage the fact that everyone's got cell phones for the video streaming capability that led us to Capita. And now we represent them. And it's a very simple piece of tech that's, you know, kind of groundbreaking. But when you call 911, um, this technology enables them to real time send a text back to that person um, and then securely share the video feed of that phone back to that dispatcher or whoever initiated the, you know, the, uh, the initial link. And then once they get it, they can share it to whoever they want. So the use case would be somebody sees someone doing something suspicious at a train station. Um, they call 911 to report it. Um, from there, that dispatcher is able to send a text to that person's phone. They click yes, and then they're able to live stream that video feedback. And then from there, they can take it and share it in multiple different directions to the responding officer. So he or she knows what they're responding to, um, you know, a number of different uses. But really, at the end of the day, it's to drive increased situational awareness. And that's where we're heading as a business is we want to make sure we're only advancing things that are built in, you know, not based on theory, but are things that are actually going to really drive, you know, better decisions, more efficient decisions, make everyone safer within public safety. And with the 911i, I think it's important for people to understand, you know, you're reaching out, you with the phone, 
Nobody's tapping your phone. Nobody's accessing your phone illegally. You're reaching out to 911. And then there is a reverse communication back. They're asking permission. So you're giving, not only are you reaching out on the first side, you're then giving permission for the, for the video link to go up. And then when it goes down, yeah, no, there's nothing. nothing stored on your phone. Yeah. And, you know, you're, it's, it's, it's wiped clean. It's not a, it's not a, a big brother's watching. Cause you know how the people are. They're going to be like, oh, I'm not, I'm not giving anybody access. Yeah, it's no different. Than, yeah. It's no different than you call 911 today, and, but you're trying to verbally explain to somebody what's going on. So, you know, right. that's a, di- yeah. that's a difficult task. The, the same exact thing with the maps. When you think about, you know, before, you know, before the map, you know, you're trying to explain to someone, we're well, going to come into the hallway and it's going to be a, you know, blue tile floor, and then you're going to make a left at the men's bathroom. That's just a difficult thing to like say over a radio, articulate. Just think about yeah, the NFL. Like the NFL doesn't do its its pictures, yeah. doesn't do its planning in text based or verbally. They do it in pictures. So that's the same exact thing with the maps. Mm-hmm. Same exact thing with nine one one i. Just makes it more efficient to be able to transfer information back and forth. I think it's fantastic. I mean, like you said, you think about how many how many cameras are out there on phones. And if we could use it for the right reasons and we could, and we could save lives, man, I mean, that's a massive game change right there. Having, having access, I could think of a million scenarios where, where people are in a a dangerous situation. They just activate that camera and and you are feeding your first responders uh, a play by play of everything, replay, you name it, whatever. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, I, when I go back to the beginning of this, how it all started with, uh, listening to you guys speak, you weren't, you know, you were, you were just back over here, you know, you weren't, uh, and it was very military oriented. And, and, uh, as we, as we looked at it, I, I remember thinking, man, this is going to go somewhere. And, uh, I got to give you all the credit in the world, man, you, Ethan, all the guys there and the girls there at CRG for putting this together. Uh, one of the things it says on your website, and man, it's true. The work we do today will save lives tomorrow. And if you're a parent out there and you have a child in a school, you need to go to one of your board of ed meetings and just simply ask the question if they have this or anything like it. You, you, they need to have this. And I'm going to, I mean, I'm not a salesman for this company. I don't get anything out of this. I just believe in it a thousand percent. The price point of this is remarkably reasonable. So it's not like you're going to say, well, they'll never buy it. Oh yeah, they will. They should. They have no reason not to. This is your children. This is the safety of your family. These things really do happen. And if you're one of those people that go, ah, what are the chances? You know what? Ask the parents of Newtown, Connecticut. Ask the parents at Stoneman High School, Marjorie Stoneman High School. Ask the parents in Columbine High School and the surviving family members. When it happens, the devastation is for life. So this is, like we said in the beginning of this, this is a simple operating platform that's very cost-effective that is going to make a difference in the response of the first responding people in any event. And it's also very critical to mention that it's a preventative. It teaches them how to harden targets. It exposes some some soft areas. There's other things that you, you know what, explain that too, Mike, when you go in and, and you have a potential client, an elementary school or high school or whatever it might be, how you also yeah, consult with them. You know, when you talk about the pricing, when we looked at getting into this, we never started the business to make money. That was not a motivating factor at all. Now we're a very successful business, but I look at that as simply a byproduct of, of ha- you know, like really understanding a problem and, and working really hard to solve it. Um, 
But because of that, we understood the, the fiscal reality of the environment that we're operating in. So if it was too expensive, nobody could buy it. Hence, you can solve the problem. So we, we just became way more efficient in terms of how we built it. So we've never had anybody actually come back and say it's, it's too expensive. And I'm talking, we've done, you know, like the largest school districts in Florida and Georgia, where there's hundreds and hundreds of schools, you know, that we do that at, at a single time. And no one's ever even, you know, batted an eye at kind of the cost structure that we put forward. Um, to your point about the consulting, we go on site to every single location that we do. And, you know, a lot of times, again, we're there and, you know, things are mislabeled. Doors aren't labeled at all. Um, and we'll just simply point out things that, you know, everybody kind of knows is a problem. And we, we won't make a recommendation on how to, say, label the door. But we will just help facilitate a conversation between, let's say, the schools in this, in this example and either the police or municipal fire department that would want to make a recommendation on how they want the doors labeled. And, and that's one of the biggest problems we, as we've worked to solve this, is there are no standard really across the country in terms of how things are supposed to be labeled. So as you go to school one, an elementary school in a, in a, in a township, you know, let's say the front door is number one and then it goes counterclockwise because that's how that's specifically that school wanted to do it. And then you go to the middle school and it's not labeled. And then you go to high school and the, the door is, the front door is A and then it goes counterclockwise. Well, that problem only gets worse as you get further away from that first school you started with. And because we're going site by site, gathering that information, making sure it's accurate, make sure it's reliable, um, that's how we're kind of, you know, you know, going there and helping them solve those problems and just pointing, pointing out different issues. And we stay laser focused on the work that we do. If that school or institution has a different panic button, we'll work with that third party company to make sure that they have the map that's on file in that system. Same exact one that you know, the police department's going to show up with in a totally different system. Yeah, it's it's it is um, is something that has impressed me right from the beginning, and it continues to impress me today. I um, again, you know, parents ask, reach out. You know, you got to do your part. Raising your kid is one thing, but you know, you're sending them off for uh, however many hours a day. You want to know what's going on there, not just about the educational platforms and you know curriculum and things like that, but are they okay? Are are your kids going to be okay where you're sending them all day? And this is a this is something that every one of these uh, school systems should be Im- not only accepting, but embracing, or, you know, with both arms. This is, this is that good. Um, you know, Mike, listen, I, I, I'm, man, I was pumped up to have you on because th- I think this, this, what you're doing is great. The product is great, but I think your story is great. You know, you, you're a guy that went to the U S military Academy and, uh, you know, you served this country, uh, you know, both here and overseas, you went down range, you put yourself in harm's way. Uh, you know, I can uh, speak from experience. You know, I was at 9-11. We were there. And, um, you know, I, you, you just knew that day the fight started. And, uh, you, you know, we didn't know where it was going to go, but we knew that, you know, upcoming generations were going to be in this. And you guys did it. You went down You went down there and you did what you had to do. And you, you know what you did? You... Um, I look at it like this. You fought for me and you fought for my family. No, I, I appreciate that. I thank you. Uh, yeah, that's, no. that's, that's a big deal, you know? And, and I think the second half of your story is great. It's just as great in a different way. You know, you came home and you transitioned. You took something great that you did and you learned when you were there and you dumped it right back into American civilian society and you're helping people today, man. And, and you know what? You can't put a price on that. So you know, I, I really want to thank you for being here and joining us today. I want people to look them up, CRG Plans, P-L-A-N-S dot com, and uh, ask your schools 
Ask your, uh, ask your businesses, the buildings that you work in, see what they're doing, see what they're doing to protect you. So uh, I appreciate it. Howie. Thank you. Listen, brother. I, uh, I wish you all the best, man. Thanks, brother. I'll, really I'll talk to you man. soon. Thanks. All right. Cheers. Bye. All right, man. Catch you later.